0: Uh, about three years ago, about ten of us moved out here to Busan from Seoul to plant this church. Uh, and then we were here for about two years. And after about two years, there was a second wave of people from Seoul that moved down to kind of support. Uh, we called them the Icha. Icha is like the second in Korean. It's basically when you go eat once the first time and then the second thing you eat is called Icha. And so it was our second wave team that came down um, to really support this church and bless this church. And, um, of that team, uh, this brother named Todd, he's gonna preach for us today. He has, he's gifted, um, what, what's the word, uh, in speaking. Like, <laughs> he speaks very well. And I've had many conversations with him. I used to be his, I used to be his uh, small group leader, and, he, and I, I would be there, like, you know, trying to speak into him, and all of a sudden, he's speaking to me. He's a very good speaker. He's gifted, um, in, in public speaking, and I believe that he's gifted in preaching. And so that's, that's the reason why Pastor Christian uh, plugged him in this week to preach for us today. So uh, let's introduce, uh, I'd like to introduce to you Todd Beatty from Texas. <laughs> Mighty Man of God going to give us a word
1: today. No pressure after that, right? <laughs> First time up, already giving me a reputation. Well, good afternoon to you all. My name is Todd Beatty. Good to see you. Um, I'm from Dallas, Texas originally, but I've been living in, and working here in South Korea for about six years. Six years. Yeah. I told myself, oh, I'll go over there for about six months and do that whole Asia thing, right? Six years later, I'm still here. So, it's good to see you. Uh, if you'll open your Bibles with me to two places. Uh, First, open up to Matthew 16, Matthew 16, and put a marker there. We'll come there later, okay? But put your little ribbon in Matthew 16, and then turn over to Genesis 32. Our main scripture for today will be Genesis 32. Y'all there? Okay. You can talk to me. I like I like it. I'm from the South. I'm from Texas. So I grew up in a very vocal, vocal congregation. I'll even accept the British accent today in honor of our guests. Sorry. I'm sorry. I, I try. I try. I try. Rosie is one of my favorites to pick on. So, oh, man. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, so... As I was preparing for today's sermon, um, the Lord actually reminded me of one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and that's Hebrews 11:1 and 6. And you don't have to turn there. Uh, Jen in the back is going to help us out today. But Hebrews 11:1 and 6 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, that is God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And one of the reasons why this is my, one of my favorite passages in Scripture is because it really gives us an insight into what it means to, to live a life of faith. It might be common to call a person spiritual, a person um, of faith, right? A man of faith, a woman of faith. And that could apply to not only people that are Christians, but people of other religions, right? And when we say that, oh, they're a person of faith, usually we refer to them in that way because they believe in something that you can't perceive with your five physical senses, right? You can't perceive it with your eyes or with your ears. You have to perceive it with something beyond that. And so we call it faith. That's what verse 1 is really getting at, right? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But verse 6 is the real kicker to me. This is the one that really sticks in my mind. Because to have faith as a Christian, we cannot only believe that there is a God. Oh, there's a God out there somewhere. He exists. I believe in him. There's two parts to faith, according to verse 6. The first part is that we have to draw near to him and believe that he exists. But part two is we have to believe that he rewards those who seek him. It's not faith if you believe in God. It's faith if you believe that God is a rewarder. It's not faith just to believe in God. It's faith to believe that God will reward you when you seek him, that God is good. And so what I want to talk to you today about is our perception of God. Who do you think God is? And um, it's something that I personally have been wrestling with a little bit. I think we all do as we grow in faith We have to experience God in fresh and new ways. He becomes different things to us in different seasons in our life. And um, this June, um, I was celebrating um, an international holiday. It started a few years ago in in Dallas, uh, but it's grown to international prominence. And of course, the the holiday I'm talking about is my birthday. And (laughs) my mama celebrates it in the United States. I celebrate it here. That makes it international, right? So... (laughs) This year I turned twenty nine. Yeah, why right? Like and at at first, like usually I'm not I'm not too big into birthdays. Um, you know, birthday is a birthday. Especially the older you get, you're like, oh it's just another birthday. But this year, man, twenty nine was hard. <laughs> it's like, wow, I'm almost thirty. Thirty sounds like death. Is there life after thirty? I'm not sure. 28 when i turned 28 i didn't really think anything of it i thought oh i've got plenty of time two more years in my 30s there's lots to happen then but this year 29 for some reason i thought this is my last year in my 20s this i got to make it count i got to make something of my life and i started struggling with some deep issues about my my life like where i was and i discovered that you know i can be very unhappy with what I feel like I've accomplished so far, especially since I've been in Korea for six years. Now, if you guys know me, you know that it's difficult sometimes for me to live here. And one of the things that I particularly struggle with when I'm living here in Korea is the food. And I grew up in Dallas, Texas. I grew up, you know, with hearty meals, meat, potatoes, steak. Come on. Oh, steak. (laughs) Korea does not got any good steak. Mexican food. Don't get me started about Mexican food. I've yet to find good Mexican food in Busan. So if you know, please see me after church. I really want to know where some good Mexican food is in Busan. That's the food that I grew up here. And then I get over here to Korea, and they're like, here's some pickled cabbage with each of your meals. My response to that is, that's just offensive. Like... You're going to give me cabbage. Who likes to eat cabbage, period? But then you're going to pickle it and put it in every meal. No thank you. Then there's, like, the gamjatang. And gamjatang, this church loves to go to the gamjatang restaurant after, (laughs) after service. And every time I refuse to go because you want me to pick apart the meat on the vertebrae of an animal with my chopsticks. Like, that's just crazy to me. Who does that? So... I struggle with the food a lot. And and for whatever reason, whenever I was turning 29, I was really angry about the food in Korea. I was like, man, if I didn't get called to a country by God, if if I'm going to go and live in a country sacrificially, can't I at least enjoy the food? If you're going to put me in Asia, can't you send me to like Thailand or something? Why Korea? Why? And then I started thinking about learning the Korean language. And if you guys know... I've been trying to learn Korea for the past two years, and I've been in these uh, classes. In addition to working full-time, I've been in these classes, and I've taken more than 400 hours of class in the past two years trying to learn Korean. And during that time, I've taken six different Korean um, evaluation tests. Out of the six tests that I've taken, I have failed five of them. <laughs> five of the six tests I have failed. And not by, like, a small margin. It's like, you bombed that. Like, to the point where, like, they're just, like, they look at me like, why do you persist with this? Why do you persist with this? The only test I did not fail was the level test, the test that put me into the right level of the program. That's the only (laughs) test that I did not fail. Every single one of them I failed. And so as I was getting kind of, you know, bitter about living here for six years, and as I was struggling with my life and how I feel like it's, it's panned out for the past 29, 29 years, I, I just started realizing like, man, yeah, this is, this sucks. Like, what am I doing here? Am I, am I making a difference? Cause everybody's got different needs, right? Some people like, they need to have a lot of friends. They need to feel included. They need to be popular. Some people desire fame and fortune. I need to know that what I'm doing matters. That's really important to me. And I'm not trying to say that others are not important. Uh, <laughs> uh, if those are important to you, that's fine. I'm just saying, like, for me, I have to know that what I'm doing is of significance. And I, sometimes I really struggle. Is it is it really significant? I'm a hagwon teacher. I work in these after-school academies. And sometimes I wonder, man, I don't know if they're learning anything. It's been six years. Do I have any, can I say that I've really taught anything to these children? Anyway, okay, so... I struggle with living in Korea sometimes. I struggle with being here. I struggle with understanding what does it mean? Why is, why is this where I'm at? And why have I persisted in doing it for six years? That's kind of crazy too, right? Like, why did, you, why did you do this to yourself? But as I got into it, as I thought more and more about the struggle, what I really realized was my struggle was not so much with Korea. Korea is Korea. Korean food is going to remain the same whether I like it or not. Korean culture is going to remain the same whether I like it or not. My job the hogwon industry is going to remain the same whether I like it or not. What I'm really struggling with is not this country. It is not my circumstances. What I'm really struggling with is what God has revealed to me. I'm really struggling with God. I'm really struggling because I feel like God brought me to Korea. And I'm really struggling because I, I feel like God encouraged me to stay in Korea. Now, He didn't force me to stay. I don't, I'm not one of those people that believes that I'm I'm imprisoned here. I, chose, I choose to stay. God's not going to lock me up here or something like that. It's not a prison cell. But I believe that God sent me here and he encourages me to stay here because he has plans for me here. And so when I was struggling with Korea, I realized, man, my struggle is not really with Korea. It's with God. And when you think about it, all of our struggles, all of our offense, it really goes back to God. Whether you're a believer or not, it really goes back to God. If you're sick, your struggle is essentially, and you're a believer especially, why doesn't God heal me? Why won't he heal me? Is he, is he not powerful enough? Is he not good enough? Does he not want to? Is there something I'm not doing? If you're having a difficult situation in your finances, like, God, why do you bless that person and not me? Why does that person seem to have a better family than I do. Why did they get this, and I didn't? The struggle, ultimately, is with God. And if you're a non-believer, if you're, if you're not yet professing faith in Jesus Christ, the question really is, is there even a God? Because how can there be a good God and allow all this evil in the world? How can there be a good God and allow what's happening in the Middle East right now? The, the essence of all of our struggle, really, when you get down to it, it gets... It goes back to God. What do you think about God? What is your perspective of God? So today we're going to look at a man in the Bible who also struggled with God, and that's in Genesis 32. We're going to look at Jacob's life. So if you look in your Bibles with me, this is Genesis 32, verse 22. Genesis 32, verses 22 um, to 32. I'll read the even and you read the odd. I'll be reading from the ESV. If you don't have the ESV, that's okay. Just try not to shout too loudly or something. Okay, so the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabot. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. But Israel, for you have striven with God and with men, and have prevailed. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Okay. So, a little background. You probably know, um, many of you probably already know the story of Jacob, but Jacob is a twin, right? He has an older brother, the twin that was born first, named Esau, and um Because Esau was born first, he was entitled to the birthright, a greater portion of the inheritance from their father, Isaac. He was also, um, Esau was also entitled to a blessing from Isaac, but Jacob was able to trick Esau and take both of those away. Now, when Jacob tricked Esau and took away the birthright and the blessing of Isaac, Esau, of course, was really angry. And he vowed to kill Jacob as soon as Isaac died. And so Jacob goes to um, Rebecca and Isaac, his parents, and they say, hey, look, your brother's going to kill you. That's a problem. So we need you to go find a wife. We want you to go to um, your mother's brother. His name is Laban. And we want you to go to his house and find a wife for yourself and just kind of chill out there until everything blows over with your brother. And then maybe you can come back later and he won't try to kill you. Um, And so Jacob's like, that sounds like a great idea. I get a wife and I don't get killed. Let's do it. And so as he goes, as he leaves his house, um, he's traveling to meet his uncle Laban. And as he's traveling, he has an encounter with God. And this is where um, Jacob has a dream. And in the dream, there's a ladder. And and he sees angels ascending and descending in this dream. And he says, wow, this is truly the, the house of God. And he calls that place Bethel. And at Bethel, that's where God makes a promise to Jacob. And, and God makes a promise, I will give you safe passage. You will return back to your home safely because I will be with you. And that's where Jacob begins to have his own relationship with God. Apart from, you know, he, he's born into Isaac's family. Isaac had a relationship with God. But this is really the birth of Jacob's relationship with God. Well, fast forward. Then he goes and he meets Laban. And Laban has a very beautiful daughter named um, Rachel. Rachel. And Rachel, he falls in love with Rachel at sight, and he wants to marry Rachel, but Laban tricks him into seven years of service in order to get Rachel's hand in marriage. And Jacob's like, oh, I love her so much. Of course, I'll work for you for seven years, and at the end of seven years, I'll marry Rachel. Well, problem is that Rachel had an older sister called Leah, and whenever the seven years had passed, um, Laban tricks Jacob and actually weds him to Leah, not Rachel, and so The next morning after their wedding night, um, Jacob wakes up and he realizes, Oh my goodness, I'm, (laughs) I'm sleeping with the wrong woman. (laughs) Which, how that happened, I don't know. That's really interesting. uh, How that, yeah, I don't know how that happens. But anyway, it did, evidently. And he didn't realize it until the next day that he was with the wrong woman. And so he goes to Laban and he's like, you tricked me. This is Leah, not Rachel, the one I love. And he, and Laban says, Oh, you want Rachel? Work another seven years for me. So he works another seven years for Rachel, and he weds Ra- Rachel as well. Basically, fast forward all through that, in, in total, he works 20 years for Laban. 20 years for Laban um, and serving him in his household. And at the end of 20 years, God speaks to Jacob and says, it's time for you to return back to your home. Now, problem, Jacob doesn't really like working for Laban. Laban's not a particularly nice, nice guy, But he knows who's waiting for him at home. And who's waiting for him at home is still the same brother that vowed to kill him when he left. So it takes a certain amount of faith for for Jacob to do this. Eventually he does it. And he leaves Laban. And he's on his way back. And this is where we take up the story. Is when Jacob's on his way back. he's, He's literally one day away from meeting Esau. The very person that he ran away from to begin with. He's one day away from confronting one of his biggest fears in life. And so what he does is he sends all these things, all these gifts ahead of him. He sends basically all that he owns ahead of him to try to appease Esau because he's scared. And he's like, maybe I can soften up his heart if I just give him a bunch of gifts before he sees me. And all that he's left, he's left completely alone because everything that he has, his, even his w- wives and children, he's put in front of him, which you know, I don't think is a great fatherly move, but he did it. <laughs> He said, everybody get in front of me. I'm going to be the very last person that Esau sees. Okay? And so Jacob is the only person left on this side of the river. And it's interesting because um, (laughs) verse 22 says, um, he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. Next sentence, and a man. Wait a second. Jacob was left alone. And a man. Well, where did the man come from? I thought Jacob was alone, right? Well, Jacob, I think the key is actually a little bit um, earlier in your text. If you look at Genesis 32, I don't have a slide for you, but just scroll or move your eyes, whichever you're doing. Scroll or move your eyes over to verse 32, verse 1. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Again, Jacob has yet another angelic visitation. He's got a dream. He's got the word of God. He's had another dream when he's working for Laban. And now he's meeting angels. And now he's all alone and there's this random man. Probably not a normal man, right? Jacob's probably by this time used to having strange visitors like angels. But the Bible doesn't call it an angel. The Bible calls it a man. Why? 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 Why a man? And then Jacob has a very interesting interpretation. Verse 30 says, So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God. Jacob didn't think it was a man. He thought it was God. What does that mean? it means your struggle may start with man, but it will always end with God. Your struggle may start with man, but it will always end with God. See, I was struggling with Korea. I was struggling with my circumstances, the things that I could perceive. But my real struggle was was with the thing I could not perceive, the thing that I could not see, which was God. Your struggle may start with man, but it will always end with God. And so today, I want to I want to share with you three keys or three lessons we can learn from Jacob's struggle. And the first one is this: Your struggle with God will end when you have the right perspective. Your struggle with God will end when you have the right perspective. So here's here's a. Uh, Jacob, and he's struggling. And again, it says, and, he, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And the problem is, is that many times we think that our struggle is with a man. It's, our struggle is with something carnal. Our struggle is with something that we can see, perceive right in front of us. That's what, that's what Jacob was really struggling with. He thought his struggle was with Esau. He thought his struggle was with Laban. See, he couldn't go back because Laban was waiting for him. To basically trap him into more years of service. But to go forward meant that he was going to have to confront his brother. Another scary option. So Jacob thought his struggle was with man. Many times we think our struggle is with our boss. Many times we think our struggle is with a friend. Or with a spouse. Or somebody else that we're in relationship with. But our struggle is not with that person. Sometimes we think that our struggle is with this man, ourselves. We think that our struggle is with our flesh. We think that our struggle is with, with our, our, our carnal desires, the desires of our flesh. We, sometimes we think our struggle is just, man, if I could just get myself to do this or to stop doing that. But that's not who your struggles with. Your struggle is with God. When you try to struggle against man, you've already lost. Because you don't have the power to overcome that. Only Jesus Christ has overcome in the flesh, and only Jesus Christ has overcome your true enemy, which is the devil. That's why your struggle is with God. How did you become a believer? You didn't become a believer because you beat sin. Oh, I whipped that sin. I whipped that out of place. Now I'm, now I'm a believer. Now I'm righteous. No. You became a believer not because you defeated the devil. You became a believer because you submitted to God. Your fight is always with God. It's not with the devil. When you start fighting the devil, you're playing into his hand. When you start fighting your flesh, you've already lost. Galatians 5 says that Jesus overcame the flesh. So walk by the Spirit. It's not a matter of fighting your flesh. It's, about, it's a matter of submitting to God. So the first one is the right perspective. You've got to know who your real enemy is. And God's not your enemy, of course, but you've got to know who you're, real, who you're really fighting. The other interesting thing is, again, this is not an ordinary visitor. And as I've already told you, Jacob was kind of used to having angelic visitors, this this man, and some people, some Bible scholars speculate, maybe he was a pre-incarnate Christ, maybe he was an angel. We're not exactly sure. The Bible's not expressly clear on who who it is that uh, Jacob's actually wrestling with here. But this, this whoever it was, it, he was probably sent there to actually bless Jacob in his time of need. Jacob's all alone. He's at a crossroads in life. He's about to confront one of his biggest fears— What I think probably happened was God sent him an angel and Jacob starts fighting with the angel. (laughs) Now, why? Why do you fight with the very blessing that God has given you? Why do we want to fight with the blessings that God is, is releasing into our life? I believe that the reason why Jacob was probably fighting with that angel is because he wasn't confident that God was really with him still. He still wasn't really confident that God was for him. He still wasn't really confident that God had blessed him. He still thought it was up to him. There's something more that I need to get. There's something more that I need to do. And so the first thing is, as soon as he saw this, saw this guy, they start wrestling. That leads me to point number two. Your struggle with God ends when you renew your trust with him. Your struggle with God ends when you renew your trust with him. I think it's very interesting how this fight goes down. Look at 25. When he saw the man, uh, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, in other words, Jacob didn't give up, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. And I think that means, hey, my time is up. I did my duty. It's time for, my shift is over. Let me go. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, this is really weird to me because if you dislodge my hip, I'm probably going to let you go and start you know, screaming. Like, that's really going to hurt. Here, the angel or God touches Jacob's hip and it's dislodged. And what does Jacob do? He, like, is still holding on and be like, no, I will not let you go until you bless me. Wow. You know, props to a brother for perseverance. Like, <laughs> if you break my hip, I'm going to let you go. <laughs> In fact, I probably don't want to be near you anymore if you break my hip, you know? But here's Jacob, and he's like, no, I will not let you go until you bless me. I think this shows the depth, desperation in Jacob's heart, that he feels like God's still holding back. There's something more I need from you, God. But he's forgotten all the times that God has promised him in dreams, by his word, by his angels, that I'm with you, and I have promised to bring you back safely to your home. The real nature of this goes all the way back to the, to the Garden of Eden, though. I want you... Uh, put up Genesis verse uh, Genesis 3 verses 4 and 5 in particular this is Genesis 3 because the root of what Jacob is struggling with is distrust towards God he feels like God is still holding back a blessing from him no i'm not going to let you go until you bless me and this is really the same the same lie and the same deception that um, Eve struggled with in the garden. This is Genesis three. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, there's a lot of, there's a lot of lies in there. First of all, Eve was already like God, right? She was made in God's image. So, lie number one, right? But the other lie that, God, that the serpent is really trying to spin over Eve is that, hey, God's holding out on you. Be careful of that God guy. He looks good. (laughs) He seems good. But he's holding out on you. See, he knows that if you do this one thing, you'll be like him. And he doesn't like that. He doesn't like that. What's the nature of distrust towards God? you think God's holding out on him. You think God is holding out on you. You think that there's still something that, that God has that you don't have access to. That's not the case, though. God had already blessed Jacob with everything that he need. He needed. God had blessed him and promised him, Jacob, I am with you. I am with you, and I promise safe return to, to your home. Jacob had everything that he needed to confront Esau, but he still felt like there was something God was holding out on him. And so he struggled. He struggled. Your struggle may begin with man, but it will always end with God. And that really leads me to point number three. God is not holding back on us because he's given us a new identity. Your struggle ends with a new identity, a new identity. Look at verse 27 back in uh, Genesis 32. This is verse 27. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. When Jacob struggled with God, God had to change Jacob's identity. See, Jacob still thought that his fight was with the devil. He still thought his fight was with man. And in fact, the name Jacob means deceiver. Now, who is the ultimate deceiver? Satan. It's okay, you can say it. <laughs> it's an interactive sermon, remember? Yeah, Satan. Jacob still, thought, Jacob still thought he was more connected to the deceiver than he was to God. Jacob still thought that he had more connection to Satan than he did to God. He still thought, oh man, I've got to deceive to get my blessing. I've got to deceive to get what's coming to me. I've got to take things into my own hands in order to make it work. Why? Because that's how he had gotten the birthright. That's how he had gotten the blessing. That's how he had gotten, basically, that's how he left Laban. He thought he, he needed to deceive in order to, and what did he do? He sent a bunch of presents in front of Esau, and even his wife and kids. He thought he had to take matters into his own hands to provide for him to to be safe. Jacob, the deceiver, had to become Israel, a new identity, a new man. The name Israel actually means one who struggles with God, one who struggles with God. And so Jacob... He had to give up his, his his relationship with his old self. He had to give up his relationship with the way that he knew how to do things so that he could enter into the relationship that God had prepared for him, which was to struggle with him and not with man. Now turn over to um, Matthew 16. This is another encounter where we see a revelation of somebody, somebody uh, having a revelation of God. Just like Jacob, at the end of his struggle, realized that he was really struggling with God. Here we see Simon Peter uh, professing Jesus as the Messiah. This is Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elisha. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What happens here? Just like Jacob, Peter has a revelation of who Jesus really is. You're not just a good man. You're not just a good prophet. You are Jesus the Messiah. And what happens? Does Jesus change? No, Simon changes. Jesus then proclaims, you are, you are, uh, find it, let me find it. Simon Peter, you are, uh, you are Peter, on this rock I will build my church and I will give you the keys. What happened when Jacob realized who he was struggling with? His identity changed. And he realized, my fight is not to get something on this earth. My fight is not with this, with man. It's not with this world. My fight, if there is one, it's with God. My connection is with him. And what is that connection? What does that, that relationship with God give me? It gives me everything. It gives me keys to the kingdom. God is not holding out on you. He is giving you the keys to the kingdom. Now, this translation makes it sound like that I can go around with my keys and like unplug different things with whatever I want to do. Like, oh, I don't want it to rain today, so I'm not going to, you know, I'm declared that it's not going to rain today. Or, oh, I, you know, I don't like that color there, so poof! You know, like, (laughs) I'm going to change that, I'm going to do that. It's not really what God is, or Jesus is trying to get at. So uh, I think the Amplified Version of the Bible has a little bit better translation here. Uh, And it says, it says this. Uh, Look at verse, this is Matthew 16, 19. I will give you keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth must be what is already bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth must be what is already loosed in heaven what is this basically getting at your keys give you open heaven. They give you open access to God. They give you open access to the kingdom. It's not about you walking around with this like rogue authority, just doing your own thing. It's about you being connected to God, the father. And if you're struggling in something, your struggle is because you're, you're moving outside of the kingdom. If you're struggling in something, it's with him. It's not with this world. Your struggle may begin with man but it will always end with God. I want to close with a story, and I invite the worship team to get ready. About four years ago, um, about four years ago, uh, a young man came into the hillside uh, community and this young man uh, was struggling with a lot of different things. He was struggling with depression. He was struggling um, with a failed engagement. He was struggling with hidden sexual sin. He was struggling with same-sex attraction. He was struggling with his identity. He was struggling with his direction in life. At only 25 years old, he thought that his life was pretty much over and worthless. He was struggling with his connection with God. But then whenever he came to Hillside, just like Jacob, he actually, for the first time, felt like he could say he met God face to face. And that changed everything for him, because his struggle really wasn't with his depression; it really wasn't with his issues of lust, fleshly desires. His struggle with, was with understanding the heart of the Father, a loving heavenly Father that has overcome sin and death, and and offers grace. And freedom, completely free. I'm very familiar with this young man's story because that's me. Four years ago, I came in to this community with a lot of struggles. A lot of struggles. Some known, some unknown. Some apparent, some unapparent. And I thought it was my duty to fight those battles, to fight against my flesh, to fight against my circumstances. And I had some rough ones. And there is responsibility. I'm not trying to absolve you of all responsibility today. That's not my intention. Please don't, please don't misunderstand me. You have choices. You have the power of choice. But I'm confident. I'm confident in telling you this. Your struggle is not with man. It's with God. And I believe today that God wants you to walk out of this place saying that you've really seen him face to face. Just like Jacob. That your struggle ends today. Your struggle ends today. I don't know what you're struggling with. It doesn't really matter. But I know who can end it. I know the one man in the history of the world that can end your struggle today. Will you let him? Will you let him? Like you for, for all of you to close your eyes and bow your heads.